We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to Picks for Pace, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by The Bear Report. I'm your host, Andrew Freeman, and while my co-host, Alex Blethyn, couldn't make it for this week's episode, I'm joined by Usaid Koshal, another writer here at The Bear Report. Usaid, Happy New Year. Uh, how are you doing today? Doing well, man. Uh, how are you doing, Andrew? Happy New Year to you, too, and uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we're excited here to talk about a little bit of Chicago Bears football and a little bit about the college football playoff. And we are recording this episode a few days before the divisional round of the NFL playoffs is set to kick off on Saturday. Uh, we've had a chance to watch the bowl games in college football over the past couple of weeks. But specifically, we've had the opportunity to watch the semifinals of the college football playoff which will be the main focus of today's episode. But before we get into that, this is a Chicago Bears podcast after all. So I think we would be remiss not to talk about the past season as a whole for the Bears and what to expect for them this offseason. Uh, said, I think generally when I look at the Bears and their 2019 season, disappointment is the first word that comes to mind. I had really high expectations for them, maybe not – Super Bowl level expectations you know I definitely thought they could possibly make it there if everything went their way but I definitely thought they'd be in the playoffs and then for them to finish eight and eight uh definitely not the way I saw the season going how about you I mean yeah you mentioned the perfect word Andrew Andrew disappointment and I think it was disappointment in the sense that like all off season there was talk about it being the hundredth season they had the hundredth you know year convention Mm -hmm. I mean And then on top of that, it was like a legitimate defensive core, a legitimate core on offense. And then things at the end of last season, especially with the way Nagy came in, went 12 and four, things were really looking up. And then, you know, they had that week one dud against Green Bay and then just too many inconsistencies in so Mm -hmm. many areas to even think about, you know, a couple of plays here and there. Could this team have really like gotten into the playoffs? 
Yeah, it really did come down to a few plays. I mean, you think about the Chargers game, for instance, uh, where Pinheiro missed the potential game-winning kick. You know, that was a gut punch to their season because they were, that was at the point where they were in the midst of a four-game losing streak. And if they get that win there, you know, who knows? They're maybe in a position to contend for a playoff spot in Week 17 against the Vikings. And it just kind of snowballed from there, I think, from Week 1 and just did not go the way that we kind of expected it to go. Uh, and then the offense, I think that was a big problem for the Bears this season was the offense. Uh, it just across the board, the entire offense regressed and just did not look nearly the same as it were last season. And they were an average unit last year for the most part, but to be within the bottom three to five units in all football, that was really discouraging, especially when we thought we would see a lot of growth from a young offensive core. Right. And I totally agree. I mean, I think that, you know, Pace summed it up at that in his season-ending press conference, and the big word that he consistently used was regression and just regression mm-hmm. in too many different areas. And I think when you look at it, like offensive line, which allowed like 33 sacks in 2018, mm-hmm. took a big step back. That was so noticeable in week one. I mean, Trubisky took a step back. And then on the, you know, when it comes to the running game, like that regressed too because you're breaking in David Montgomery. You shipped out Jordan Howard. Mike Davis was barely used. Tariq Cohen regressed massively. And then when you look at the wide receiving core, it's like, okay, so nobody was really consistent the entire year besides Allen Robinson. I mean, yeah, Anthony Miller, like, finished the year strong. Um, but still, you know, even he, like, led the Bears in receiving yards and receiving touchdowns in 2018. Uh, everyone thought that he was going to have a big year in 2019, but uh, he just really had a bad September, bad October. Turned it around in uh, November and December to show hope that uh, maybe he can break out in 2020. Yeah, you, you mentioned the inconsistency for Miller. You know, that was a big factor. Inconsistency across the board uh, was a big thing for this offense, and that's something they need to improve on going into the offseason. And you mentioned Trubisky. I think that's the first thing, if we're talking about things to address this offseason that the Bears need to do going forward. The quarterback position, they really need to take a serious look at. You know, And in my opinion, if I'm the Bears going into this offseason, you know, I'm treating this year as if Trubisky isn't my long-term option at quarterback. And I'm not even thinking about giving him a long-term extension and the ramifications of the salary cap in that regard. So I'd be all in on improving this team for 2020 and free agency as a whole. And at the very least, I think the Bears need to bring in some kind of veteran competition um, to compete with Trubisky as a starter or at least have a fallback option if he struggles like we saw this past year in 2019. Now, they have until May 3rd to extend the fifth-year option on his contract, on his rookie year contract. And, you know, until all things are settled in the quarterback room, at that point, I wouldn't even consider adding that fifth-year option until that point. Uh, what are your thoughts on the quarterback position for the Bears going forward? I mean, so they definitely need to go ahead and address it, but it's like you can't just bring anyone in. I mean, we've seen mm-hmm. names thrown around with this team. I mean, Cam Newton and Alex Smith are two of the biggest names that come to mind that would obviously come in and really improve this offense. But even those guys, I mean, they're going to cost you something, whether it's draft picks or um, capital, something that this team, they're not incredibly short. I'm sorry, draft picks or like salary cap space. And those are two things that the Bears aren't like super short on, um, but uh, they're still like kind of handcuffed 
Now mm-hmm. the question comes like who the question does like you know surface with this quarterback position is which is the team you know who's the guy out there whether it's free agency or the NFL draft that's going to kind of give you the biggest bang for your buck and I think that it's going to be interesting because it's like look last off season the kicker position is the one position that dominated headlines all off season from mini camp to OTAs to training camp and then this offseason, it's going to be the quarterback position that dominates. And I think that they're going to have to figure out, like, what do we want to do? I mean, I think, like, a good option right now would – if let's just say you hire Pat Shermer, would actually end up being Case mm-hmm. Keenum. Because those two in 2017, when they were together in Minnesota, had a great relationship that worked out really well. Yeah, that was something I actually wanted to bring up was Pat Shermer. You know, we're not sure whether they're even going to bring in an offensive coordinator. I I definitely think – it's something that's going to happen eventually, but we haven't seen that yet in some of the, co- some of the uh, different things, some of the changes they've made along the coaching staff so far on the offensive side of the ball. I think Pat Shermer is an option. He'd be a great fit. And like you said, bringing in Case Keenan to be a veteran backup who could push Trubisky a little bit at that starter role. You know, him and Shermer had a great thing going in 2017 with the Vikings, like you mentioned. Keenum had his best year as a pro by far. Uh, he, he, you know, he's been – a backup for his entire career yet for a good stretch of time in 2017, he was playing like a very, very competent starting quarterback in the NFL. So I I definitely think that would be an option. Marcus Mariota comes to mind uh, for a reclamation project. Although, um, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of Marcus Mariota, you know, personally, but it's definitely an option that is out there. And this free agency period, you know, the entire free agency class as a whole I think is pretty deep in terms of quarterback talent and quarterback options. Like you said, though, it's going to cost the bears quite a bit. And, and that's kind of my thinking that, you know, if they're going to go all in on winning in the Super Bowl window, they're going to have to take risk on certain players, whether that be at the quarterback position or along other positions in the roster. Uh, But moving on from the quarterback, you know, let's touch on some other needs for the bears going into this off season. And for me, my second biggest need for them you know, a lot of people point to the offensive line, but for the most part, this offensive line is kind of locked in in terms of the personnel for 2020. They have four of the five guys uh, that are, I think are going to be projected to start next year that was starting last season. So honestly, I don't think they're going to see too much movement along the offensive line besides the right guard position, uh, although they can certainly add some talent there. But I'm looking towards the pass rush, which was, in my opinion, kind of a big weakness for this team which you wouldn't think that going into the year. They had 50 sacks last season in 2019, only 32 this year, and they just weren't able to bring a lot of pressure. And we kind of saw that once Akeem Hicks went down. The Bears, outside of Khalil Mack, they didn't have anybody that could get consistent pressure on the quarterback. So I think getting, you know, whether it's through free agency or in the draft, getting multiple guys at outside linebacker or in the interior of the defensive line that can get to the quarterback, you know, that's going to have to be a big need for this team as well, I think. Yeah, you know, I think um, pass rush is definitely one of the things that I'd like to see them address this offseason because you mentioned it and you hit the nail on the head there. Um, You know, pass rush is definitely a big – it's not like a major need, but um, you definitely, I think, have to look at adding someone this offseason because the thing is, it's like, Khalil Mack is Khalil Mack. He can't do everything for this team. I mean, Akeem Hicks going down really – is what led to this defense not having tons of sacks because Hicks on the line of, at the line of scrimmage, Hicks will eat up so many 
double teams. It allows Mac Trevathan, Roquan Smith, some of these guys to do their own thing. Um, but, you know, they need to look at adding someone for depth purposes opposite Khalil Mack. Because I think Leonard Floyd, I mean, Ryan Pace is clearly high on a guy like Leonard Floyd, basically saying that, look, you know, he does a lot of things that don't go unnoticed and that we want Floyd to be better. But um, Floyd also knows that he needs to be better. But what you need to do, I think, for pass rushers, consider adding a guy on day three in the draft. Because I don't think Aaron Lynch is going to be back with this team. And you can't have someone like Isaiah Irving as your third outside linebacker on the roster. Because if Isaiah Irving was a legitimate option, he's been with the team like two or three years now. And that, you know, he really would have gone ahead and um, solidified his spot and beat Lynch out. And so, like, Floyd's a great run defender. He's awesome. But he's just too inconsistent when it comes to getting after the quarterback. And so the Bears need to add someone as a rotational guy and someone that could legitimately push Floyd. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Floyd. I actually I have some thoughts on Floyd that I'd like to get to here. But before doing that, we're going to take a little quick break for a word from our sponsor. The Old West is an iconic period of American history. I'm Chris Wimmer. Join me on the Legends of the Old West podcast to hear the true stories of lawmen like Wyatt Earp, Bass Reeves, and the Texas Rangers, outlaws like Jesse James and Butch and Sundance, and Native American battles of the Lakota, Comanche, and Apache. We use cinematic storytelling and sound design to bring these stories and many more to life. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. And we're back here at Picks for Pace. When we left off, we were just talking about the pass rush and adding some things to this Bears unit defensively. And that kind of transitions into our top needs for the Bears in terms of the NFL draft. Obviously, we've got a lot of time before that happens. But, uh, you know, needs are going to obviously change as the offseason progresses and as free agency kind of comes into focus here. But I've identified a few positions of need that the Bears will need to address here in this NFL draft and you know my top need is what we were just talking about here with the pass rushing with the outside linebacker edge position whatever you want to call it uh the Bears pass rush just like we said before it wasn't good enough last season it needs to get better outside of just Cleo Mack being as dominant as he is and you were talking about how the Bears need to get somebody in there to push Leonard Floyd and honestly if they're up to me I know this might be something that a lot of people might be against because edge is such an integral position on the defensive side of the ball. But there are a lot of options out there in free agency in terms of guys like Yannick Ngakwe, Jadavion Clowney, Robert Quinn, Bud Dupree, Dante Fowler, uh, just to name a few. There are plenty more guys out there that are going to be on the market. Personally, if they're up to me, obviously, if you can't get any of those guys, you keep Leonard Floyd. He's on his fifth-year option. Um, and you, you try and see if he can improve on what he's done the past couple of years. But if you have the chance to go out there and get one of those players, I think those guys would be upgrades over what Leonard Floyd brings you as a pass rusher. And I would rescind that fifth year option and kind of go in that direction. But nonetheless, I think edge rusher should be the top need on the Bears roster, on the Bears draft board. Uh, because when I think about it here, Look at the teams that made the playoffs this season. The Green Bay Packers, who were the number two seed in the NFC. What did they do this past offseason? They went all in on upgrading that pass rush. with Zedarius Smith, Preston Smith, and then even drafting Rashawn Gary in the first round. 
um, continue to add to that edge rushing core so that way they have multiple guys that can go after the quarterback. Uh, then you look at the San Francisco, San Francisco 49ers uh, getting Joey Bosa in the first round of the NFL draft and then uh, trading for D Ford from the Kansas City Chiefs after already investing a couple first round picks on the defensive line. And, you know, even extends the Philadelphia Eagles, for example, you know, Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, Derek Barnett, all those first rounders up front. Obviously the Bears don't have a first rounder in this upcoming draft because of the Cleo Mack trade, but they do have two second rounders. So I think a good strategy, if you will, would be to trying to invest in that pass rush as much as they can, because that is something that changes games in the NFL. And we've been mentioning in this podcast before this episode before, you know, the Bears were a few plays away this season from being in a spot to possibly get into the playoffs, even with all the inconsistencies that we saw this season. And getting some guys and get after the quarterback in key situations, in my mind, that's probably the top priority outside of fixing the quarterback position. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, so, you know, I think definitely pass rush is one of those things that they want to look to or that the Bears should definitely look to add to this season. But, um, you know, as with regards to just potentially selecting a guy in the second round, I think that it's just going to be, you know, it's just going to depend on the way the board falls, right? Because it's like, let's keep in mind that, uh, you know, I expect there to be a big run on wide receivers and cornerbacks on day one of the 2020 NFL draft. And then day two, right, I expect to see some linebackers, you know, like some linebackers, some running backs selected, a couple tight ends. And I think that – and edge rushers as well, right? Now, if the board falls in such a way where the Bears are getting, you know – an edge rusher and a tight end that they believe are going to be impact players like Curtis Weaver and Bryson Hopkins, for example, mm-hmm. you ultimately need to pull the trigger. Right. But I think that um, it's just really going to end up depending on what way does the board fall and what direction do we want to go and what needs do we prioritize over, um, you know, other needs on the roster. Yeah. I think going best player available, that's something Ryan Pace, the general manager for the bears has emphasized in the past and that's definitely a strategy that I kind of push personally because you don't want to reach for a position just to go, you know, just because you feel like you have to address a positional need doesn't mean you should reach for a guy um, to fill that need. You should be going after uh, the most talented players that you identify on the board. But if there are, you know, talented players and around the same level of grade, I think there are some positions that you do need to emphasize. And one of those positions for me, kind of moving on from the pass rusher spot, which we talked about quite a bit, uh, the offensive line, and specifically the offensive tackles. Um, I think offensive tackle, it's one of those positions in the NFL that's kind of becoming harder and harder to get talented players coming out of the draft to play those spots because of the way that college is played now where it's more spread out and just the way offensive linemen are are taught how to play the position now. Um, it's just becoming harder and harder to identify really legitimate starting level tackles in the NFL. And the Bears, while I think Charles Zino and Bobby Massey are middle of the road at their respective positions at left tackle and right tackle, and both are locked in contractually uh, for 2020, I think it's time that the Bears start thinking about finding a long-term replacement to both of those guys and maybe some add some competition for a starting spot because – Let's face it here, the tackle play this past season wasn't good enough. Uh, Charles Leno certainly had his moments with penalties, and he had a really bad game in Week 17 against the Minnesota Vikings, even though they were playing uh, mostly their backups. Um, 
you know, really, I think offensive tackle is something that the Bears really need to look to address in this upcoming draft. And that if, that, if the board kind of goes that way, then, you know, definitely they should address it early on. But even if they can draft tackle to be maybe a starter at right guard for them next year, if they can't find a legitimate replacement at right guard, maybe go that direction because um, offensive line, you know, this is something that Ryan Pace talked about in his postseason presser. Uh, offensive line is something that you kind of need to continually to address in the draft and get, continue to add young talent there because it's so important to win games in the trenches. And that's something that the Bears did not do this past year. So that's something I'm looking forward to for the Bears in the upcoming draft as well. Yeah, and I think that um, just one guy that I think would be a really interesting fit for the Bears, just Mm -hmm. in terms of could he be a potential starter down the road? Could he come in and push someone like Massey or Leno for a starting spot? I think it would be Louisville offensive tackle that guy Becton I mean there's a guy that brings Mm -hmm. tons of power and he's got a great anchor too right so he's a player that I think I do expect him to be there in the second round Mm -hmm. and I think that uh if you draft him you're gonna get a guy that's gonna come in not always gonna push Leno and Massey because he's mostly played on the outside but I think he's like six foot four I believe right Mm -hmm. yeah actually sorry he's six seven three sixty nine and one of the big things that you look for Mm -hmm. in a um offensive tackle especially a guy like left tackles you want him to be long and lengthy you know just so that uh bigger defensive linemen in the NFL do not get around you and so Becton's a guy that I think really could end up working out really well for the Bears yeah and there there are going to be a lot of guys I think in this draft that are going to be available in the second round but I mean you talked about Becton there the guy's a physical specimen just based off the length the size um and the weight uh, proportions to his body as a whole. And that would definitely be something that's intriguing, I think, for the Bears. And like I mentioned before, you don't necessarily have to throw those guys out there. If you draft them high at left or right tackle right away, you can kick them inside for a year. So that way they can adjust the NFL game and maybe give you some value at two positions rather than one. Um, in terms of other needs for the Bears that I'd like to see them address in this draft, uh, defensive back. And to me, there's a real lack of true talent behind the starters here on this roster for the Bears, especially at outside corner. Um, I know Kevin Tolliver has shown some things in the past, but you know we haven't really seen a big enough sample size for me to feel comfortable as him as a long-term replacement to Prince of Mucamara, who could very well be cut this upcoming offseason to save some salary cap space. Uh, it kind of depends on who else is out there in the free agent market as well, but I think that corner spot opposite of Kyle Fuller is definitely something that's going to be in flux over the next couple of years because they haven't really done a lot to address that position in the draft in terms of uh, high draft picks. So I think finding somebody in this draft, whether it's on day two or whether they trade back and get a guy in the middle rounds of the draft, uh, somebody to come in there and compete with Tolliver for that spot or even get a starting position next to Fuller is something that should be high on the Bears' priority list in this offseason, specifically as it relates to the draft in the coming spring. I mean, yeah, you know, you mentioned Kevin Tolliver. I mean, so there's been two significant starts for Kevin Tolliver. He was a rookie in 2018, and in that uh, week four game against the Bucks, he led the uh, team in tackles. And then the week 14 game against the Cowboys in 2019, Tolliver had a pretty solid showing, but uh, the deal with him is this, he's kind of been buried behind the depth chart, you know. So I think what the Bears need to do just regarding that – 
second defensive back opposite Fuller is they need to have it be like a combination of Tolliver and Shelley going into training camp and then you know potentially look to add someone in free agency but then also go ahead on day three right and um, draft a guy like in whatever the sixth or seventh round because this is a really deep class coming up cornerbacks Mm -hmm. and there are going to be guys that normally in other uh, draft classes would probably have been like you know day one picks or even like high day two picks that could potentially end up being there in the third fourth or fifth round and so you need to really do your homework and bring one of those guys in and have them have it be like a three-way competition in the end may the best man win yeah and getting more competition on the roster that's something that Pace has emphasized from day one as the GM for the Bears back in 2015. Um, and that's something they really haven't had in the defensive backfield, I feel like, over the past few years, just because they haven't really added a ton of uh, young talent there outside of Tolliver as an undrafted free agent, and obviously Duke Shelley in the last draft. Um, you know, so definitely that, that, that unit does need an influx of young talent though, because you're probably going to be losing haha Clinton Dix in his upcoming off season due to free agency. You know, I'm not sure, you know, who exactly is going to be available for them in free agency to get that strong safety, but they're probably going to need another young player there assuming that uh, Dion Bush isn't in the long-term plans as well. Although they might bring him back on a short one-year deal to for a starting role. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of different, ways you can go at that spot in the offseason. One more need that I think is going to be important for the Bears, we've kind of mentioned it in the past year, but tight end. Uh, The Bears got absolutely nothing for the tight end position in 2019. And you could argue that having almost zero production from that spot was just as big of a factor on this offense struggling as the quarterback play and the offensive line play was for the Bears offense in 2019. Because when you look at Nagy's offense and – some of the variations of this offense around the NFL, uh, specifically in Kansas City and in Philadelphia, the tight end position is really important to how those offenses operate. And, you know, this tight end class in free agency is supposed to be very deep with guys like uh, Eric Ebron, who is going to be moving on from the Indianapolis Colts uh, this upcoming offseason. Even guys like Austin Hooper, Evan Ingram. Uh, there's a lot of talented tight ends that are going to be available in free agency but I'm not sure if the Bears are going to necessarily want to invest a ton of money at that position since they're already paying Trey Burton a warmer year guaranteed on his contract. So that's going to be something to look after in the free agency pool. But when it comes to the drafts, you know, even though 2021 is projected to be a little bit better of a tight end class, there is still a few names in this class I think are going to be very intriguing on day two and going into day three. Uh, we already mentioned uh, – Bryson Hopkins out of Purdue. Uh, he's probably the top tight end on my board right now. He's a guy I really like watching play, but he might even go in the first round. So uh, we'll definitely see how that plays out during this offseason period. And while tight ends is, you know, traditionally it takes a while for these guys to transition to the NFL and make a big impact right away, um, they need to find an answer there because it's just that important of a spot in this offense. And even if you go get a guy in free agency, it wouldn't help. It wouldn't hurt, I should say, to further address the position in the draft. Yeah, you know, I definitely agree. And here's the thing, right? So you mentioned the three big tight ends that are going to hit free agency this offseason. You've got Ebron, Hunter Henry, and uh, Austin Hooper. Now, 
could the Bears, with you know a couple cuts here and there, make some more room to afford one of those guys? Absolutely. But I think if you can't get one of those guys in free agency, what you need to do is you need to go ahead and address, still address the position in free agency and kind of take a look at like a lower end tight end. Like for example, Nick Vanette's a guy that comes to mind because he's only 27 years old. Um, you know, isn't going to produce like crazy, but has shown at least flashes of being a reliable option. And so that's what you do in free agency. Now, when you turn the page to the NFL draft, like, look, there's two guys right now, really three that I think would make prime targets for the Bears, and that's Bryson Hopkins from Purdue. That's number one. Number two is Cole Kmet, the tight end from Notre Dame. And number three would be Albert uh Alberto from Missouri. And I think that, cause I can't say his last name, right? Um, Albert, you know, one of those three guys would make it a great option for tight end because you're, you know, I do think that they're going to start from day one. Each of the three have shown that they can legitimately be good tight ends in the NFL and your observation regarding like Kansas city and Philadelphia having tight ends that are the focal points of the offense is a hundred percent true. I think that if the bears land one of the three names in the draft, I just mentioned it drastically does change the way that the offense performs in uh, 2020 and well beyond. Yeah. It's, it's definitely something that needs to be addressed because I think the bears do have a lot of talent at wide receiver with guys like Allen Robinson Anthony Miller, and even though even though uh, Riley really didn't really play a lot this past year, uh, he was a guy that a lot of people thought would go higher than the fourth round, and I'm really excited to see him play next year. So getting a tight end in this offense would do wonders, I think. And it would help a guy like Mitchell Trubisky who struggles to go through his reads and kind of locks onto Allen Robinson in key situations to kind of have a security blanket over the middle of the field to where he can feel comfortable making those type of throws in certain situations in the red zone on third down, uh, things like that. And even other guys that I like in this draft, Joy Magnifico, uh, Josiah Deguara out of Cincinnati. Those are two guys I'm looking for later on day three of the draft. If they don't get one of those guys that you mentioned early on day two in the second round. Um, again, this isn't like a loaded tight end class as opposed to maybe a few years ago that we saw with Evan Ingram in that class. And I forget who else was in that draft class, but uh, there are definitely some intriguing options, I think, that the Bears should be able to target on day two of this draft and maybe even going to day three of this draft. And as far as one final uh, position group that I think is important to address in this draft for the Bears, I was tempted at saying quarterback because obviously um, we, we all know that there's probably going to be some sort of change at the quarterback position in this upcoming year, whether it's a veteran to – uh, back up Trubisky, replace Trubisky, or just be a guy that can be a fallback option for Trubisky. I think they're going to probably address the quarterback position in free agency and possibly bring in a guy on day three of the draft to kind of compete for a backup spot going into the future, be a developmental prospect for them. But I don't really think they're going to really invest a high draft pick at that quarterback spot until 2021 when they get a first round pick again. Um, that just something that I don't think is in the cards for this season, even though I think a lot of Bears fans would like to see that. I just don't think it's going to happen this year because there are some other places on this roster that they need to address first. So the last need that I think the Bears should try and go after is an explosive offensive playmaker, at whether it be at tight end, like we mentioned, or running back or wide receiver. Uh, some Somebody that can really take the top off of a, off of a defense and 
create some big plays with this offense because the Bears, they've been among the worst teams in the NFL at creating explosive plays over the past two seasons, which is odd because Nagy comes from the Kansas City offense, which has been so great at creating explosive plays with guys like Tyree Kill, Sammy Watkins in that offense. And obviously when you have a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes that can throw the ball 100 yards uh, off his back foot, I mean, that definitely helps. But they have guys that can get the ball in space, uh, make a few guys miss, and then go 40 yards after the catch. Uh, to get a touchdown. The Bears, they don't really have anybody like that on this roster. You could argue Tariq Cohn was supposed to be that guy last season, but I just did not see the same Tariq Cohn that I've seen in 2017 and 2018, respectively. He didn't have that uh, level of explosiveness that we've seen in years past, which kind of concerns me for him going into the future. So I think getting somebody at wide receiver running back that could score virtually every time they get the ball in their hands, and you can find those guys on day three of the draft because this wide receiver class is supposed to be loaded in talent. And even this running back class, there are a few guys that I like um, in this draft that have some explosiveness to their game. And you're going to be able to get those guys in the later portions of the draft. Um, maybe not necessarily full-time backs, but guys that can come in on a rotation and make a few plays here and there throughout the course of the game. Yeah. You know, I totally agree. Like I think the offensive sort of, so the Tyree killed, in this Bears offense was clearly supposed to be Tariq Cohn and Matt Nagy in 2018 during training camp. He was like, yeah, I'm so excited about all the different ways that I can use Tariq Cohen and all the value that he provides. And he just re regressed massively in 2019. And it does, you know, it does make you question like, do they need another slot receiver? Someone that's like, you know, can come in and replace Taylor Gabriel to potentially be that explosive guy that can, you know, run a um, crossing route for 15 yards, a 15-yard crossing route over the middle of the field, and then potentially just get the ball in his hands and then in space really make something happen. And I think that the explosiveness was not there in year two, and it was an issue. And it's just one of those things that really kind of held the Bears back, despite all the inconsistencies. So adding a guy um, on, you know, day three that's like I think a wide receiver would just be a much better option than potentially adding a um, second running back now when it does come to addressing the running back position I think yeah you do need to look into adding a running back too. someone like Travis Etienne for example who we'll see on mm -hmm. Monday night and the reason being is because you got to find a compliment to David Montgomery honestly because like he's a do-it-all type power runner guy but um you know, he can be like the Mark Ing – Montgomery can be like the Mark Ingram if the Bears can find an Alvin Kamara, honestly. Yeah, Montgomery, you know, he does a lot of things well. He's great at grinding out tough yards, and he can break a lot of tackles uh, within a phone booth there. And he's even versatile enough to, you know, get outside and catch a few passes on some different routes uh, in the offense. But the one thing that he lacks in his game is explosiveness, that top-end speed. Uh, to really, when he's given a big hole, to take advantage of it and go 60 yards on the field and get a touchdown. That's, that's not really his game. I don't think that's necessarily a flaw in his game. That's just, that's just not the type of back he is. So getting someone with some kind of explosiveness, definitely something that should be on the Bears' radar. So we talked about some of the needs for the Bears in this upcoming draft. We are now going to transition to the college football playoff and talk about some of the storylines going on there. But before we do that, we're going to take another short break for a word from our show sponsor.
And we're back here again at Picks for Pace. Uh, moving on to our observations from the college football playoff semifinals that we saw over the past, I think it was two weeks ago where the games were, uh, at the time of this recording. The first game we're going to talk about is the Fiesta Bowl between Clemson and Ohio State. And this game really lived up to the hype that was going on heading into this matchup. Um, these were arguably the two most talented teams in all of college football. And this is just an exciting game from start to finish. Ohio State got off to a early 16-point lead to start the game. It looked like they were going to blow things wide open in this one. But then Clemson, they slowly but surely started to get their way back in this game. And eventually, they took the lead late on Trevor Lawrence, hitting Travis Etienne, the running back for Clemson, on a 34-yard touchdown pass to eventually win the game. And then the quarterback for Ohio State, Justin Fields threw an interception late to seal the win for Clemson as they move on to the college football playoff uh, national championship. And in terms of a few players that stood out in this game, I think I wanted to start off with Trevor Lawrence on Clemson. I mean, it's, it's easy to say that this guy is great, but I mean, you just have to emphasize it, continue to emphasize it because he's going to be the number one quarterback in 2021. He isn't coming out obviously in the upcoming 2020 NFL draft, but the reason why I want to I want to point him out is because the Bears are probably going to probably going to be in the quarterback market next season, and while I don't expect them to be obviously have a high draft pick to draft a guy like Trevor Lawrence, crazier things have happened in terms of trades and um, teams trading up in the draft to get their guy. Um, so you definitely don't want to leave that possibility completely out the window here. So a guy like Trevor Lawrence who was 18 for 33 in this game, 259 yards. Had three total touchdowns, one of which coming on a long touchdown run. Um, he showed pretty much everyone here on a national spotlight why he is such a hyped-up prospect going forward in the NFL draft in the future. Uh, he showed the athleticism, that arm talent that's just so special, the ability to anticipate his wide receivers and throw them open. And you got to love the intangible ability to – you know, the fact that his team got down early, didn't give up, and he got his team back and rallied them to a an upset, not really an upset win, but uh, a very impressive win in a tough game. Uh, what were your thoughts on Trevor Lawrence's performance and maybe some of the other players that kind of stood out to you in this game? I mean, so I think the um, biggest person that kind of stood out to me in this game was, you just mentioned his name is Trevor Lawrence. I mean, the guy's years ahead of where he needs to be. He's only a sophomore in college, but he's years ahead of where he needs to be in terms of just quarterback play. And I really thought that he looked like an NFL quarterback that's like in his third or fourth year. But I think another guy that really stood out to me in this game was Travis Etienne. And I know I mentioned him just a moment ago because I do think that if he's there in the second round, he's definitely worth taking a look at. I mean, this is a guy that's like, you know, brings tons of speed to the table. And then he's really explosive too, you know. But um, his biggest, I think, issue for ETN might just kind of be like the vision. He mm -hmm. sort of, you know, does not always seem to see the field correctly. Now, granted, you know, with a good coach at the next level, I think that um, that could really change for him. But like ETN's a guy that I think, could legitimately if the Bears were to draft him he stood out in this game and um, I expect him to stand out again on Monday night and he'd be a great option for the Bears yeah one crazy thing for ETN he had more yards receiving than he did rushing in this game so I wanted to point out the Ohio State defensive line they have a lot of talented players obviously led by Chase Young who's 
probably going to be the second pick in this upcoming draft. And before I move on to the rest of these guys on this defensive line, this defensive front seven for Ohio State, I just want to say that whoever's saying that Chase Young did not have an impact in this game needs to go back and actually watch what Chase Young was able to do. Clemson was double and triple team, teaming him all night long. He was still getting a bunch of pressure on uh, Lawrence all night long. He was still getting the backfield making plays. Um, you know, just very, very talented player overall. Um, but some of the other guys that did a good job of kind of slowing down ETN, who only had 10 carries for 36 yards. I look, like, I look like at Malik Harrison, their linebacker, who's going to be a day two or day three options class at linebacker. He led them in tackles in this game. Devon Hamilton, a guy that I really like on the defensive line. Uh, not really a pass rusher, but he can stop the run pretty well, and that's what you're going to be drafting those guys on day three anyway for. Um, so I got to credit the Ohio State defense for doing that. But I do like Travis Etienne quite a bit, and he was very explosive, very fun to watch in this game. Another running back that I, I liked in this game was the Ohio State running back, J.K. Dobbins, who's kind of up there with Etienne for best running back in this class. He had 24 touches for 221 yards and a touchdown this one, and he showed that home run ability with a 68-yard touchdown run early on in the first quarter in this game. And it's games like this where these guys will kind of solidify who was the better player in the eyes of some scouts across the NFL. Yeah, I definitely agree, you know, and um, this Ohio State-Clemson game in the playoff, I thought it was really just a great showing to see a lot of these future stars that are going to come out. I mean, Isaiah Simmons is a guy that uh, you look at him, he's kind of played all over the field. Um, and Simmons, I don't think, like, I'd love to potentially see him on a team like the Bears. Now, granted, I don't think he's going to fall to the second round, no. but there was just – yeah, you know, there's just so much talent. I mean, another guy that kind of comes to mind for me that I thought had a great showing would be interior Ohio State's interior defensive lineman, Devon Hamilton. I mean, he's been really productive. And that Ohio State defensive line, like Chase Young does get all the um, credibility and all the cameras and et cetera, you know, popularity for what he does. But um, Hamilton is just a guy that's uh, really, I think, could end up coming in and you know just sitting behind a guy like Eddie Goldman for a year but then really like provide tons of value going forward yeah and he, and he wouldn't be expected to come in right away and be a major impact guy on this defensive line especially if Akeem Hicks is healthy and Bilal Nichols takes that step that we kind of expected him to have this year they didn't really show this past season because of injury um, there's a lot of talent on this Bears defensive line but you can never invest too many guys up front that can kind of control the line of scrimmage uh, to a degree. And you talk about Isaiah, Isaiah Simmons, you know, for me, he's a, probably a top 15 to top 20 talent in this class. Um, and he's got the versatility to play all over the place on defense. He can play strong safety, linebacker, basically a jack of all trades in defensive backfield. He had a really impressive interception off of quarterback for Ohio State, Justin Fields, where he came pretty much across the field on the sideline to pick off a pass um, just freakishly athletic for a guy of his size. But that's kind of works as a transition to a degree for some players that disappointed for me in this game. And the one guy that I wanted to point out is the quarterback for Ohio State, Justin Fields, who I, I really like him a lot going into next year's class with Trevor Lawrence as kind of the top two quarterbacks in 2021. But 
Fields did have a rough game in this one, so to speak. Uh, after only throwing one interception all season long, which I think came on a Hail Mary, so really he didn't put the ball in harm's way whatsoever this past year. Um, he threw two in this game, and both of them were pretty critical interceptions in terms of changing the momentum. And obviously that last one kind of sealed the deal um, at the end of the game there, which kind of wasn't really his fault because it was a miscommunication with the wide receiver. But he threw the ball at the end of the day. He's got some amount of responsibility for it. Uh, just seemed a bit to me a little bit late indecisive on his reads, which kind of hurt him in this game against a Clemson defense that is loaded with speed and a lot of talent in their secondary. Yeah, you know, Clemson's got, I think, one of the best secondaries that we've seen, right? Just the last couple of years under Dabo Sweeney, there's been tons of great players that um, have been in that secondary. But, like, I do think that Fields, the deal with him is that I don't think everything was, like, necessarily his fault. But at the end mm-hmm. of the day, like, they were in a position to win it. And that second interception came at uh, – the most critical time in the game. And, you know, it's like, I know for a fact Fields will be quarterback number two for a hell of a lot of people going into the 2021 draft process. But um, I still think that he's right now a tier below Lawrence. Now that doesn't mean that he can't be a great NFL quarterback, but um, I think that uh, he will definitely, there's a couple things that he does need to work on. And just going back to Ohio state for another year, you'll see him kind of, you know, not make you know make tons of better decisions so I think Mm -hmm. that the next time that if he's in a playoff game he's not going to throw that uh, interception and he'll be or any of the two interceptions he had and he'll be on a uh you know um, like much better communication with both the receivers yeah I think it's important to point out that this is his first year as a starter in college football so these growing pains these uh tough games and in these big games here those are kind of expected. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is kind of the outlier. You know, you don't see freshman quarterbacks like he did last year just go on an unprecedented run and lead his team to a national championship. You don't really see that all the time. So, uh, you know, while it can be kind of unfair to judge him next to Trevor Lawrence because Trevor Lawrence is that special of a quarterback prospect, uh, Fields is going to be up there in the conversation next year. And somebody to look out for, I think, for the Bears, if they want to invest in the quarterback next year and maybe trade up or if they're in a position to draft him in next year's draft, definitely a name to keep an eye on going forward. Uh, So we talked about the Fiesta Bowl in this one, but we're going to talk about the next game that happened in the semifinal, the Peach Bowl between LSU and Oklahoma. We're not going to have too much to talk about in this one, unfortunately, because LSU just absolutely dominated Oklahoma from start to finish, 63-28 to in this game. And, I mean, you have to start off with Joe Burrow, right? An NCAA record, seven touchdowns in the first half alone. Uh, Joe Burrow was spectacular in this game. Like, it wasn't even his best game. I thought just from – it was his best game statistically speaking, but just from watching him play, I don't think this is the best he's played. And still to go out there and play like that against an improved Oklahoma defense was beyond impressive to me. Yeah, you know, so Joe, like, you know, I think we've all heard the saying is they don't play defense in the Pac-12. And I think that uh, this game was like the icing on the cake regarding that statement for me. I mean, Burrow came in, he was just so calm, composed, and took the kind of, you know, that entire uh, 
you know, Oklahoma defense by surprise because I for sure thought like Lincoln Riley was going to figure out a way to kind of go ahead and um, slow him down. But that ultimately did not happen. And I think if anything, like this game showed us to why Joe Burrow is going to be the number one overall pick in a couple months. Mm -hmm. And I thought that really a couple other guys that stood out. So um, the first one would be a wide receiver that's going to be draft eligible in 2021 for from LSU, Jamar Chase, I thought had a phenomenal game. I know the other wide receiver, Justin Jefferson, he's uh, draft eligible this year, and it's kind of hard to pinpoint exactly what round he's going to go in. But uh, he's a guy that I think's been, you know, you've just seen throughout his time at LSU, he's been placed all over the field. And so it does, you know, make me kind of questions like were the Bears to draft him, Nagy would definitely love to use him and mm-hmm. uh hell of a lot of different spots. Yeah, Justin Jefferson had a huge game for LSU, 14 receptions, 227 yards, four touchdowns. I mean, just ridiculous. It was a complete offensive showcase for LSU. And Jamar Chase had a few big receptions in this game. Uh only two, but they went for 61 yards, which is an average of 30 and a half yards per reception. Uh, so that type of big play ability, what we've been talking about with the Bears, needing more explosive playmakers in the pass, passing game. Uh, Jamar Chase, while he's not going to be draft eligible this year, definitely someone to keep an eye on uh, for the future and future drafts for the Bears as well. And you kind of talk about how Lincoln Riley, you'd think that he'd be able to figure out this LSU defense uh, featuring some talented players in the secondary, such as a Grant Delpit who – has really started to play more like he did in 2018, late in this season. Uh, he kind of ha- he's kind of had his struggles throughout the year, but as the years kind of progress, he's kind of put his name back out there as a legitimate first-round talent, as a versatile do-it-all type of safety. But the one player that I wanted to talk about on Oklahoma's side of things is Jalen Hurts, who I know a lot of Bears fans have been kind of putting his name out there as an option for the Bears in the second round to maybe take a chance at at quarterback. And I think games like this kind of show why he's really nothing more, in my opinion, than a day three pick at best. Uh, you look at some of his production from this game, 15 to 31, 217 yards passing, zero touchdowns, and then one interception. Um, what was your kind of general thoughts on Hurts' performance in this game and why he struggled the way he did against LSU's defense? I mean, you know, the I think – all the red flags that were kind of there for me before Hertz kind of really showed up in this game and really solidified um, as to why he's going to really have to land in the right situation with the right coaches, the right bridge quarterback to really be an NFL caliber quarterback. I mean, when you look at him, you know, the ant- he's okay at anticipating throws uh, or when it comes to his anticipation, he does go through his progressions, but he just does not seem to process enough, but you know what? There's still a lot to like about first. Like you, I love, you know, his poise. I mean, pretty good at pocket awareness now and, you know, has okay mechanics. I mean, I think if anything, right, if you take a chance on Hertz, he's going to be a developmental prospect that I think still needs like, a really solid season on the bench in the NFL, like a full year to kind of uh, develop. Yeah, I think the main thing with Hurts that you really like about him is that those intangibles that he has as a leader, as a person, you can just feel how genuine he is in his post-game interviews and all those things off the field that you want from a quarterback. He has that. And 
Uh, he's a great kid. I think he's going to be successful, I think, in the NFL level in terms of it's, if you can just find the right situation for him and the right role for his skill set. But with that said, I think, you know, we're, we've kind of seen as the years progress that it's kind of a limited skill set in terms of what you're asking for from quarterbacks in today's modern NFL. While you want a guy to be able to move around a lot, which he does very well, at the end of the day, it's all about can you go through your reads quickly, make quick, decisive decisions, and get the ball to your receivers accurately enough to where they can catch and run and get yards after the catch. That's kind of the way that's, – that's really never – is never going to change in the NFL. And I know a lot of people have tried to make the comparison to Lamar Jackson from Baltimore. And, I mean, one, I think it's kind of of a disservice to Lamar Jackson for how special of a talent he is as a player to just say, well, if you can, you know, build a system around Lamar Jackson, why can't you do it with Jalen Hurts? For one, Lamar Jackson is just completely special on another level in terms of his ability to run with speed, with elusiveness, with his ability, his twitching athleticism, uh, ability to make people miss in the open field. That's just something we don't see. Uh, He's very rare as a runner just in general. Uh, Jalen Hurts, while he's a very good runner overall, he's not quite on that level, which is why I don't think the comparison is necessarily valid in that case. Yeah, well, I think the big thing to understand with Lamar Jackson, right, is um, because these comps for Jalen Hurts, they are there, and people are like, well, look, Hurts, one of Hurts' best attributes attributes is just his mobility. I mean, you have to understand, right, is Jackson was much more polished coming mm-hmm. out of Louisville than Jalen Hurts was. And so it's just so unwise. I think you can't really think that uh, what works for one player is going to work for another player. And so that's why I really don't – like, Ken Hurts do what Lamar Jackson's done in his second season? Yeah, but even that, like I said earlier, he's going to really have to land in the right uh, situation. Yeah, and definitely. And that really comes to all these guys when we're talking about NFL draft prospects, uh, landing in the right situation, going to the right team, the right coaching staff. All that stuff definitely comes in play for all these guys. Uh, so we're going to preview the national championship game between LSU and Clemson coming up here. Uh, before discussing that, however, we are going to take one last short word with another break, uh, a short word from our sponsor. And we're back here at Picks for Pace. And now we're going to preview the national championship game between LSU and Clemson. Uh, And for this preview here, I think the main matchup that I'm looking forward to watching in this game for this game coming up on Monday is definitely the quarterback matchup between Joe Burrow and Trevor Lawrence. Presumably, this is probably going to be the top picks in the next two drafts, both in 2020 with Joe Burrow and 2021 with Trevor Lawrence, respectively. Um, While it may not concern the Bears necessarily from a draft standpoint, I just think this is just the main storyline going into this game. And these are the two best quarterbacks in college football right now. And I I just can't put into words how excited I am to actually go out and watch these guys uh, go out and play. I mean, it's going to be a fireworks show, uh, at least from an offensive standpoint, uh, watching these two guys sling the ball around the field. 
Yeah, definitely. I think when you look at it, you know, this is like a quarterback matchup that um, it's going to feature tons of talent. And this is, I think, going to be the, you know, first of many times where we see Burrow versus Lawrence, not just, I mean, obviously the final time in college, but then you'll see these guys go at it in the NFL, just depending on where they land. Now, I think that when you um, look at this game, you know, obviously Burrow versus uh, Lawrence is what everyone's going to be talking about, but I'm also interested in seeing, uh, you know, like the Clemson defense versus this explosive um, LSU offense. Yeah, we talked about Simmons before, what he's going to be able to do as a kind of versatile piece on the defense for Clemson. They're going to have their hands full. We already mentioned Jefferson and Jamar Chase as wideouts for LSU. I mean, Clemson has their share of talented playmakers on offense as well. So, I mean, this is a game that's probably going to be going up and down the field. And I'm interested in seeing how the LSU defensive secondary is going to handle Clemson with ETN out of the backfield and some of the other explosive playmakers they have in that offense and Trevor Lawrence being able to basically make throws from all areas of the field. So they're both of these secondaries are going to have to be at the top of their games if they're going to have any chance of stopping these guys. Frankly, there's just so much talent on the field on these offenses that I just, I just can't see a situation where this is nothing less than a high-scoring game, uh, to say the least. I mean, yeah, you mentioned that LSU, um, you, you know, the LSU secondary. And I think it's kind of a really interesting group because, like, Grant Delpit, the safety, is the unquestioned leader of that group. Um, but I think another really interesting name to watch is going to be the cornerback, Christian uh, Fulton, right? And then when you look at things for Clemson, right, we've touched extensively on uh, Simmons in this podcast, but, like, Kavon Wallace, you know, he's a safety. I think he's an interesting guy that's a senior. I think he's like a day three pick to kind of keep an eye on. Um, and then when you're just looking at like the Clemson defense in general, right, there's some, you know, pretty decent pass rushers there too that I think that like, okay, if these guys do end up like declaring as underclassmen, they'd be great. You know I mean? On the other side, the when it comes to the LSU defense, I'm interested in seeing Michael Divinity Jr. I mean, I know he's a senior. He's not like Kevon Lachawson mm-hmm. or Chasen, right, in the sense that, like, he's going to be a hot name to know all throughout the draft prospect. But, um, you know, definitely I think, like, an interesting uh, prospect to keep an eye on. Yeah, I think it goes without saying that this is going to be a loaded – a game loaded with – talented NFL draft prospects to keep an eye on. And I think that's the most exciting part about these big games like this late in the college football season. It's almost like a showcase of what the future is going to look like in the NFL. And that's what makes it so exciting. Um, So with all that said, uh, we're going to go ahead and make our predictions for this game. Uh, Usain, what is your score prediction? Who wins? And who do you think is going to have the biggest impact in this one? So I'm going to go ahead and say that uh, LSU and Joe Burrow, they win this game. And I'm going to say that they win uh, 45 to 40. Now, granted, you're going to see a high-scoring game. At least I think that's what's going to happen. And um, But the deal is this, right, is that the LSU offense, I think this year is just 
all throughout the season. They've just been on another level, right? Like you have Joe Burrow that's leading the group. You have Jamar Chase and and Justin Jefferson, obviously that uh, have been phenomenal all year, right? As the uh, receivers and really some of the uh, playmakers in that group. I mean, I know Clyde Edwards Hilaire, the running back for LSU. He's looked good all year too, and I think like he's going to be an interesting um, day three guy that. Um, you know, if he does declare this year, like, he'll be a day three guy. But I really think, like – and then on the other side of the ball, like, LSU's loaded with talent on defense. So I think that they're just a better overall team than Clemson right now, and they just want it much more than Clemson does. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on the score there. I think it's going to be in the 40s. It's going to be high scoring. It's probably going to come down to the last drive of the game. I think both of these quarterbacks are going to go out there and have just – humongous put up humongous numbers in this one multiple touchdowns for both of these guys probably over 300 yards passing for both of these guys it's just gonna be a fun shootout I think and I mean we've seen that in the in the past with Clemson when they played Alabama and some of those national championships when Sean Watson was the quarterback there you know even though Alabama was great defensively those games got up into the 40s and it was just kind of back and forth the entire time I just don't see a situation where these defenses will be able to stop these guys on a consistent basis. And I think we're going to see a lot of big plays, a lot of exciting action. And I think it's going to be a great fun finale to the end of this college football season, which has been you know, pretty exciting all year long. Anyway, I mean, it's been a fun, this is probably the most exciting college year that I've seen in quite a while with the emergence of LSU coming out of nowhere, really with Burrow leading this offense and I think it's going to be a fun conclusion to a 2019 season that's seen a lot of great uh, football played throughout the year. Yeah, definitely. I agree. I mean, I think like if there's anything that if there's like one championship game we needed to kind of kick 2020 off, like this is definitely it. Definitely. And I agree. Uh, so with that, we're going to conclude our time here as we're getting close to about an hour. Uh, so thank you guys for tuning into this episode of Picks for Pace. Keep an eye out for more episodes to come in the future as the Senior Bowl and Shrine Bowl are just around the corner. I want to thank you, Usain one more time for coming on the podcast uh, to talk some college football, to talk some Bears football. Uh, and thank you guys, Bears fans, for tuning in and NFL draft enthusiasts alike. We look forward to many more episodes coming up in the future here at Picks for Pace. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website 
are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.